Awesome. Tonight at our uh, young adults deal at our house, um, we're going to have a beach party because it's summertime. <laughs> I'm going to invite Kevin, though, because he's in his shorts and barefoot up here on the front. Just, just reach down. Hey, a couple things. Did you see the bike racks on the way in? Ready to bring your bike? Okay. Okay. Uh, so we had a great meeting last week just talking with uh, church members to talk about what's going on, uh, what's coming at Obi Joyful and things. And one uh, or two of the things that are really important that I want to make sure people have heard and are knowing about is uh, the two-service thing in the summer. So when we hit the week before July 4th, which is like the 28th of June, the numbers here, I see some summer friends here, you know, the numbers go crazy. And so we're more than double this size by far. So uh, we are going to have to go to two services for, for eight weeks. So the 28th, I think, of June through about August 16th. And there should be an email. If you didn't get the email with this, uh, let me know. We've got some sheets. We want to make sure we're communicating well with you. But for those eight weeks, we'll be having two services here, 8.30 and 10.15. And so it will be identical. We'll have kids program in both. Youth will be in the second service, but it will look like that. Okay, so that's coming. And the second thing is that on the, f- the 5th of July, which is the week after the 28th of June, we're going to have one huge service outside at the, uh, like out where we have Alpenglow concerts. So that day will be, uh, you know, bring your chairs and your blankets and everybody, and we're just going to do a service right there. And we had uh, 300 and something people here that Sunday last, if we get close to that or over that, it'll be great. So everybody out there, We'll do the regular service, and then we're going to have a big barbecue after that. So, and bring friends. You know, it's just going to be a really comfortable place to have people come that maybe wouldn't typically come to church. So it'll be real casual and laid back and introductory, if you will. But it'll be a really fun time as a family, as a church. And so, looking forward to that. Hope you can be there. All right. So, uh, let's see. So we're in this, this series now. By the way, thank you, Trent, for bringing me a baby wipe to wipe off my face, all the ink that was on it. I, apparently, I, you could trace what I was doing while I was praying uh, earlier because I touched my pen and I was praying going like this. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those tricks you play on your friend at night at a slumber party. You know, you put your hand in some ink and then you tickle their face so they go like this. And I, I'm looking at you because you have slumber parties. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, anyway, thanks, Trent. Now all I can smell is baby bottom. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Here, Scott. That's good. So we're in this series now, uh, and we're about a little more than halfway through, looking at these famous last words that Jesus spoke, especially around uh, from the, the Passover meal through the crucifixion and on to the resurrection and, and then his ascension. and So there, there's things that we've heard him say, and today we're going to hit two of them. We're at the point uh, where he's on the cross. We're just leaping right up to that point. He's going to say two things that I feel like most of you have probably heard uh, many times. 
One of them is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And another one is, today you will be with me in paradise. These two things are, are right next to each other, and if you've you know, been around the church much at all, or even literature, you've probably come across these two sayings that Jesus makes uh, that we've heard so well. And what I want to do today is, you know, is ask you to listen to three different voices that we'll hear speaking in this, in this narrative. Uh, when Jesus is on the cross, he's surrounded by these criminals right on either side, himself, and then there's the crowd below. And so as we walk through this, I just want you to listen to each of the different voices, but I want to ask you to put yourself in the place of the second criminal. Remember, the second criminal is the one at the end that says, hey, remember me when you get to, when you get to your kingdom, right? He's a guy that has this, I'm not sure if it's a change of heart or whatever, something changes for him, right? And so I want us to, uh, as I read the passage and as you think about this, maybe put yourself in his position as you listen to the things that are being said. And that's kind of the way I'm going to unfold this. So if you will, let's read this uh, together. We're going to be in Luke 23. Luke 23, it's in the bulletin there. And we'll put it on the wall. So two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed, saying, He saved others, let let him save himself, if he's the chosen one of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged with him, hanged, railed at him, saying, are you you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So we're listening from the point of view of that second criminal that speaks to the things that are going on around us. And there's, there's three voices that we're going to hear. One is of the crowd, and then one is of Jesus, what Jesus says, And the third voice is actually that second criminal himself and what comes out of his mouth. So let's look at this voice of the crowd. The the crowd, the the first thing that it says is is right up in there in 35. It says, the people stood by watching and the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ, if he's the chosen one, he can save himself. Now the, the rulers right there, it's important to kind of take this apart a little bit. Those are the religious rulers. Those were the, the folks who had actually had the, um, these are the people who have the hearts of the people, okay? They're the ones who 
are, uh, there, there's the Romans who are the political power and then there is the, the priesthood that is the spiritual and, and emotional relational power that's going on. And so this is the group that we're talking about. And they have condemned Jesus, right? And, and these, are, these are the people we're talking about right here. These are the rulers. And I think it's interesting. You know, it says right there, it's, it says, he saved others. Now, if they saw that he saved others, then why would they, what, what, do you, what does that mean? You know, if he saved others, there must have been some impact on them. There must have been some question in their mind. What did he mean by that? And I I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And it it seems to me that these guys that were these uh, religious rulers had seen the results of Jesus healing. They had seen what he had done and it was incontrovertible. He had done these things and they had seen them. They were real things, but they still had to deal with him as as a threat to them, right? So there's something going on in their mind where they're saying something has happened here, but at the same time, we, we have to do away with this guy. He saved others. He's done these healings. He, so not saved like uh, uh, redeemed and, and renewed relationship with God. And they don't have a concept of that. What they are thinking of is that he's done something physical for these people. But you see, they were expecting, as you guys know, they were expecting a literal leader, physical Messiah to come, someone who would lead the Jews into power over the Romans, right? So for them, the cross, this thing that's happening, this crucifixion is proof that Jesus is not the Messiah, all right? This is proof that he is not because they're looking for that kind of person. When they read the Bible, they see a Messiah as someone who takes them and leads them to a new level. And this is not what's happening. So for them, the cross is proof that he is not the Messiah. The God of the universe, the God that they worshipped, would never go there. He would never be on the... That just doesn't make sense. Okay? Now, these are the spiritual leaders of these people, and they've, they've completely missed who Jesus is supposed to be. They're expecting something different, and this is their proof. And this second criminal is hearing the people who lead his heart, who he follows, who he respects, make fun of this person, right? So that's what, they're hear- that's what he is hearing from the crowd. The people, that, the people that this criminal truly respected in life, this is a Jewish guy, are, are mocking Jesus and saying, pull yourself down, come on, you can do this. If you're really God, you know, if you're the Messiah, then of course Jesus is not going to do that. And so he's hearing that, he's taking that in. And then you have the Roman guards in 36. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up and they offered him sour wine to insult him and said, if you're king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over him that said, this is the king of the Jews. See, for the Roman guards, this is proof that he is not a king either, right? Because you had the religious side, but on the Roman side, these guys were all about power. You know, Rome is on top of the game right now. They are, and they're on the way up. And everything is about power. And if there's someone that one of these conquered peoples is saying is a king, but he's on a cross, to them that's just silly, right? That's just ridiculous. So in their minds, when they make fun of him, when they offer him this sour wine and say, come on down, save yourself, come on. If you're a king, you can call people in to take care of you. 
It doesn't make any sense that you would let yourself suffer. It's so interesting, too, because this is our mind. There is nothing new. Suffering is not an option. We do everything we can do to avoid suffering. And it's just interesting. You know, a lot of times I think, well, you know, those were those times, you know. But people, have, people don't change too much. And so these people are expecting, if, if this person has power, if you have power, then you should be able to afford, avoid suffering, especially if it's over other human beings, be, being done to you by other human beings. This should be within your capability. So this, doesn't, this is proof for them that this is no king. They're sure of it. But did you notice uh, right before what the, the, uh, the religious rulers, uh, their comments, it says that the people are standing by. And sometimes, for me at least, silence, the people standing by watching and not saying anything is sometimes more powerful than people saying stuff. You know, the condemnation of just a look. We were watching the Arkansas game last night. Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> settle down back there. And there was one point where a player just made a boneheaded move, and you saw him, and they had this great angle uh, past the player to the coach, and you could see the coach just giving him the look. He didn't yell at him. He just gave him this look, and it, y'all remember seeing that shot? It was like, man, he was, a thousand words were going. And, of course, guys, you've probably gotten the look before from somebody. I don't know, Maddie, you've experienced the look before? Uh, sorry, Shark. Not in basketball. Like, not in basketball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't talking about Shark giving you the look. The people were silent. And when, in social situations, when you are the only one who might say something, everyone else is silent. That's a hard spot to be. You know, you're just really alone. And so here's this guy, and he's listening, and he hears his leaders of his heart condemning Jesus and taunting him, and he sees the, the people who have power over him, who can make any, have now put him on the cross, who have ultimate power over him, making fun of the same guy. And he's hearing the community that he's a part of, or was a part of, saying nothing. So he's, I mean, this guy's in a bind, you know, spiritually and emotionally up there, besides what's going on to him and his, his own death. And then he hears the first prisoner, the first man on the cross. In verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. You know, I know other versions have different words there, but he rails at him. You know, he, he just yells at Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, this is the only person that the second criminal can really relate to. You know, this is the one guy that he, he has something very much in common with. And there is nothing that the words that that guy says absolutely agree with everybody else, except for he takes it up to a level of vehemence. How could a king and a Messiah let himself be hung on a cross? How could this happen? And so as I was thinking about this personally, I thought, you know, it is hard to go against the voice of the crowd. It's hard to, and it's not just our social crowd, or, you know, or our friends at the bar the, that we bike with or that we work with. It, it's the social picture on the whole, you know, the, the state and 
in the nation and you know, educated people in general. It's hard right, to go against the crowd because that's what we hear. We hear all of these things, this misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he was doing. And Keller said something I think that's really, I, I, loved, I loved it when he said it. He said this, it's easy to miss Jesus by going along with the crowd. On the other hand, to be a Christian, you have to be an incredibly independent thinker. If you're going to be a believer, you're going to have to think independently. You're not going to follow the crowd. The crowd is not going to go this way. Okay, so there's the voice that he's hearing that's the crowd, that's the people all around him. But he also hears the voice of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus says is in verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, I don't know if, if this is like this for you, but I've always been fascinated by that statement. I'm sure there's, a, there's probably 200 Christian songs written about that. You know, <laughs> Father, forgive them. If you zoom out and kind of look at everything that's happening in a way where you can, you can hear Jesus, you know, you see the crowd and it's this chaos, right? All these people yelling and it's that, if you've ever been to a third world country where the marketplace is happening, you know, it's all of that and people passing by and, you know, all the animals and the noise and all that stuff and these people are up above them, you know, on crosses, battered and bleeding. I mean, it's, a, it's just this chaotic, horrible scene. And then there's the criminal yelling and the other one is trying to figure out what's going on. And, and then Jesus speaks to God and he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I've always, I've always thought that that just indicated, uh, when, I, when I zoomed in back in on Jesus, this calmness and this confidence, this, um, this gentleness towards these people that have, na- I mean, nailed him to the cross and are making fun of him, you know? Uh, and empathy. It, he even gives them an excuse. They don't know what they're doing. You know? As if the father who he's pleading with will respond to that, right? He's actually, he's, he's, there's this intimate thing where he's talking to his father. He's in this relationship and he says, Father, I'm pleading with you forgive them. And of course, that's why he's on the cross anyway. And you know, I also notice it's not that he's not making a request to come down. He doesn't say, okay, get me out of here. He's on it. You know, I think's happening there is that Jesus is moving from the role of introducing himself to people and introducing this new concept of who God is to them and how he's going to redeem them to becoming the advocate of the believer, right? There's this transition that's happening because after the resurrection, Jesus is our advocate. He stands before God, and when the condemnation comes, you have broken relationship with me, Jesus steps in and says, that's true, he has, she has, but I have paid for that. I've taken the punishment, I have taken your rejection for that. And so he is the advocate there, and it's all through the New Testament. And now what's happening is I think Jesus is stepping into that. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In a minute, Jesus will be able to say, forgive them because I took their place. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's not the, uh, the expected path that 
your advocate, who really is, should be our hero, would take. I have a friend who, when we, uh, whenever we'll see, uh, I'm just going to tell you who it is. It's Emily. I can't lie. I didn't. Emily, our intern. So we're all, you know, sitting around as a family. We're watching a show or watching a movie, and it's like an action movie. And she gets really into movies, okay? Like, she's in it. I don't think she'd mind me telling you, and I hope she doesn't because I just did. But she's, <laughs> she's totally, like, in it. And, and sometimes when really intense stuff happens, she's like, um, she get, just gets up and leaves, you know? And she'll, and she'll go around the corner and she'll say, is everything okay? Well, I'm like, Emily, we're watching an action movie. Everything's going to be great, <laughs> you know? It doesn't matter how far the hero gets launched into space, how much rubble this person is under, how long they've been unconscious underwater, how frozen they are for generations, they will win, <laughs> right? So Emily, it's okay, but she just, she's just in the moment. She's so in the moment. I'm sure it drives her crazy. She's like, how can you sit there like that? Hmm. Because... Even you guys, you've, you've, most of us here have read the Greek, our Greek writings, and, and we've read about the Roman heroes, right? That's what we're, this is what the era that we're in, okay? These heroes succeed and they dominate. They win. And in their mentality, in our mentality, heroes dominate. And Jesus, he is doing that, but he's not doing it in a way that we can see that would make sense to us or made sense to them at that moment. Because Jesus would rather lose himself than lose us. Right? Jesus would rather lose himself than lose us. That's a hero. Okay? God's going to come around and take care of it at the end. But here's the deal, and I, I, even just as we were in our prayer time this morning and and, you know, we were dedicating babies, and there's this joy, these families that have babies, and there's people here I know and that we know who can't have babies, wanted babies, you know, people who've lost their children, people who, it's just this big mess of, you know, blessings, and how is this a blessing? How is this working? It's, this doesn't seem like it should be this way. And something that we learn from seeing Jesus follow through on the cross is that following Jesus is not necessarily, does not necessarily mean that our results are the ones that we're going to get, the results that we want. Because if you think about that, and, and here's, here's how I do it. I say, God, this is what I really need you to do because I know best, right? Lord, please do this and please do this and heal this and fix this because this is, this is how it should be. And I mean, I'm saying that somewhat facetiously, but even in my most pleading moments, the things that are, I mo feel most intensely about, I still am saying those same things. Lord, make it go my way. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That is all through the scripture. It is absolutely good to plead with God, to be angry with God, to struggle and wrestle with God. But to follow Jesus does, definitely means that it may not, that, that he actually may be God and not you. Because when we put God into this place where we are, we are only happy with him and only in relationship with him, if he does what we want him to do, then we've just made a little, we just wrote a little story that we like, right? We've just shrunk God up 
to some, somebody that doesn't know what's best, that, that we do. He wants to hear our requests. He cares about us. He knows that we are frail. In fact, frailty is one of the things that, he is, that, that pleases him best about us when we acknowledge that. But at the same time, y'all, we have to remember that Jesus is someone that we follow when we are not absolutely committed to having what we think is right. So I was reading through uh, Psalm 119, and it just this thought resonated with me. I want to read to you uh, just a couple of verses from it. This is 119.49. Remember your word to your servant. Don't forget me, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that, you, that your promise gives me life. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. And in 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. When will you comfort me? When will you, in other words, things are not going like I think they should go. When will you, but I take, I take peace and I find joy in your words and in who you are. So this guy is hearing all of this stuff. He's hearing the crowd. He's, he's thinking about that. He hears Jesus say this thing to God that's so amazing. And then he, he hears himself, his own voice. I don't know if, if you're like me, but sometimes I'm surprised by the things that I say that just come out of my mouth. This happens in my marriage relationship most frequently. Like I will literally think of something and I'll think, wow, you should not say that. And I'll think about it. I'll, well, I give it a little longer. I give it some time. I'm sure I'm not going to. And then I say it. And I'm like, what? I, and of course, you know, the results are always awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's just fabulous. Uh, you know, they're always sensitive and thoughtful and me second. Uh, yeah, that's not true. Um, so he hears himself say these things, and I, I think he's, obviously he's been wrestling with all that he's been hearing. It's all been coming into his ears, but he's, he says this. He, he says to the other guy who, who just jumps on Jesus, he says in 40, our criminal, I'll call him, rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we justly, for we receive the reward of what we've done. But this guy has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus. And he turns to Jesus in the middle. He says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, after all of that, after all that stuff, he is convinced of who Jesus is. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now think about, just for a second, I just wrote a little list of the things that that statement communicates, that this guy believes. Number one, I'll just, I'm just going to point out. He believes that Jesus is 100% man, is right there, and he can talk to him. Right? That's fairly obvious on the surface of it. Jesus is 100% God, because only God can remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And he re realizes that God's kingdom is a lot greater than what meets the eye. What he is seeing is not everything. There is something much greater, and he's uh, obviously on the precipice of that. 
he sees that and agrees with the fact that the king, Jesus, is willing to suffer for his people. He realizes that Jesus has the power to bring him into his presence. Remember me. Bring me with you. Despite what these people say, you have the authority over me. And over all of these things, I believe. That's what he's saying. He couldn't make that statement if all of those things weren't true. And really, my hope for us, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, is that regardless of whether we hear the crowd or we hear someone who's in our exact same shoes speak out loudly against Jesus, or maybe we even hear the silence of our friends, our communities, that we are convinced like he was that this is the Messiah, that this is the one who can make the relationship between us and God right. And I just I want to close with this last thought, and it's, it's the thing that Jesus says. He says um, in 2343, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So most of the time, through my whole life, I have focused on the bookends of that phrase. Today in paradise. When you die, you can be sure that you will be with me in paradise. And I've held on to that. I'll be with Christ when I die. You know, I've, I've embraced it. It's, it's the, theolo- you know, a theology that we also see in other places in the scripture. And then I see the other side, this um, concept of some place that is perfect, that where all ills are made right, where all wrongs are right, where we are healed. And that's paradise. But what I was missing is what's in the middle. Today, you will be with me. You will be with me in paradise. That's, that's the good part. That's why Jesus is on the cross. Not for a time frame or just for a paradise thing so that we're going to be happy. He says, you're going to be in relationship with me today. It will be complete today. See, I, I, I missed that because I wanted to hear the things that I wanted to hear out of that. But what, what I realize, and I know now, is that what I really want is a relationship with Jesus. And that's what he's offering, and that's what he's giving to this man. And I think that is uh, just amazing. Um, so I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you, which, which voice is going to be yours? Hey, Jesus... Make it all good, make it the way I want it, or I don't believe. Right? Hey, Jesus, make it my way. Or I believe despite the circumstances. Which one is is your voice? Which one is my voice? I'm going to pray, and Lisa's going to lead us in communion, and we'll close. So will you bow with me? Father, we come to you this morning, and we just uh, offer our hearts to you. I thank you for sending your son for us. And I thank you that we can be in relationship with him because of what he's done. God, let us rise above the crowd. Let us be the independent thinker that you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.